And that is a consistent message of warning. There are going to be people who say they're talking for God. They're not. They're not mistaken and they're not crazy. They are purposely trying to deceive you and destroy you. Watch out. What is false prophecy? And are there false prophets among us now? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg from Jerusalem, and he's going to be walking us through what is false prophecy, how can we recognize it, and what can we do to stand with those that are preaching the truth. Joel, welcome. Glad you're with us on this Great podcast. Great with you, Carl. Uh, an interesting topic today. My passion for many years has been teaching about Bible prophecy, but you can't teach Bible prophecy without also talking to people about false prophecy because it's epidemic. Historically, it certainly was in Bible times. Jesus says it's going to get worse as we get closer to his return uh, because there's going to be all types of people trying to deceive and get people off track and away from Christ and onto you know these false Christs and ultimately onto the Antichrist. So, yeah, these yeah. are very important issues, and um, and <laughs> well, I think maybe yeah. even you know too much of the church doesn't even teach on Bible prophecy, but even those who do don't always make sure that people understand what false prophecy looks like so that you can detect it and stand against it. Right. Well, you know, and, and I know you've resisted this, but, you know, people have called you a prophet and, and I know you're not and you wouldn't even I say, say that I'm, a non-profit. Non-profit. I'm a non-profit, right? And, uh, That's right. you know, or, but, yeah, but you're right. Um, you know. But are there still true prophets in today's world? I mean, what's your thoughts on? Uh, so, okay, so wow, we're gonna we're gonna jump right up and down on the on the landmine from the first, you know, from the get go. Okay, so the Apostle Paul writes to uh, the churches. I think it's in Ephesians, right? He gives the list uh, of what are the, uh, the sort of the offices in the church, and he mentions prophets being among them. Now, so there are many uh, in the church today. We're talking the evangelical church, the born again right. church. Very respected people, people I love and know, uh, but they would call themselves cessationists, meaning, mm-hmm. yes, God used miracles and healing and tongues and prophecy in Bible times. But they would argue as you go through the book of Acts, you see less and less of that. And then that's not really a thing that has that ceased to be a part of God's plan for the church. And so now that's not normative. It's not, could God do it? Yeah, he could do it, but it wouldn't be, that's not normal practice. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not a cessationist. Now the Joshua Fund doesn't actually take a doctrinal position on this. And we have people on the staff, on the board who see it both ways, uh, as far as I'm aware. And I actually have never asked you, so you can say or not say, but, but I'm not a cessationist and I'll tell you why. So for, I'll give you an example. So uh, we're going to get to prophecy in a moment, but, but, but tongues. So this is probably the most controversial issue in the New Testament era that divides the believers between more conservative theological types and charismatic Pentecostal, you know, so forth. So I don't speak in tongues. I don't know how. I never, it never, it's not a thing in my life. And I don't understand it. I, I, I mean, I'm just totally honest. I, uh, I was once asked to preach at a conference of all the pastors in Israel, and I was assigned the topic of Acts chapter 2, the uh, Pentecost. 
And I thought, oh, come on. You got to like, you just can't win in that room. But anyway, the point is that I told these pastors and their wives, listen, I don't speak in tongues and I don't particularly want to. I don't get it. The whole concept of speaking in in some other language, if it's a foreign language, maybe someone could explain it to me. But I don't understand how I can pray in some sort of prayer language in a language I don't understand. How is that edifying? How is that helpful? But but even though I think it's spooky when it's done weird or sometimes even when it's done normally, I, I just don't get it. Okay, So I was honest with the group. But I did say, listen, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 14, he says, this is a thing. Tongue, he, Paul said he spoke in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He said, many of you speak in tongues. But he did say, there's a way to do it crazy. And there's a way to do it right. And he encouraged them to do it right and not crazy. And then he said, I would rather not speak in tongues, but speak in, a, in an understandable language to edify the church. Right. So I said, Paul is talking to the most troubled church in the entire New Testament. If there was any group of people that you'd say, listen, you've got enough problems. Like, stop sleeping with your mother or your father's mother or whatever. Whatever. They have a lot of issues. Like, yeah. don't go there. There's not, this is not a thing anymore. Don't speak in tongues. Don't prophecy, whatever. But he doesn't say that. And he also, on the issue of prophecy, he, he affirms that it's an actual gift, that people can understand what God is saying about the future. But he said, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful. You have to test what somebody says. And a number of people, strong believers, need to test it to see if it really comes to pass, if it rings true. So there's a lot of ways that Paul is warning that these spiritual gifts, he sa- he doesn't say they're over, but he does say they can be done very badly and bring a lot of damage and shame to the church and confuse people. And so I think that's true. So all that's to say, my study of prophecy is that mostly what I focus on when I teach it is actual written canonical scriptural Bible prophecy because sure. that's 27% of the Bible and most people aren't even teaching that. So somebody ought to. Okay. So I'm happy to do it. But the Bible does say there is the gift of prophecy. And mm-hmm. I think what I found, I've seen it happen. Okay. And I, I, I've seen people foretell something and you're like, that's kind of crazy. I, that doesn't just sound right, but then it happens. Maybe it happens years later. Maybe it happens decades later, but maybe it happens 10 minutes later. It's, it's very interesting. So I can't rule it out and I don't, but I think it's very dangerous. And I think that it would have been a lot easier if God had just said, that's not a thing anymore. Don't go there. Because when you're talking about a prophecy that you can read in the Bible, that's a real prophecy. You can study it. You can argue it over it. You can try to understand it and explain it and try to live under the principles that God has given us. But but when somebody's telling you that you're going to go do this, or this is going to happen to you, then that's harder, and it also opens a door for mm-hmm. someone to tell you something that's either mm-hmm. purposely crazy and wrong, or they they mean well, but they're just, you know, they've had a bad falafel. They, <laughs> they, they, they had a dream, and it was weird, and they tell it to you as though it's a problem, but it's not. Yeah. Last point on that, um, as we as we – you know, sort of clear our entire podcast of anybody listening anymore. No, I don't know. But, uh, is uh, no, I hope they are. This is important. It's I'm glad you chose it as a topic. But the other thing is, it's important to know that an Old Testament prophet is not equivalent to a New Testament prophet, little p. Meaning, mm-hmm. Old Testament prophets heard from God and they wrote Scripture. 
This is Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, Joel, the, the, the biblical Joel, not me. Like that, those were real prophets. And they had two types of prophecies, right? They had prophecies that were short-term prophecies that either would come to pass or not in their own lifetime, even usually soon, that people could say, oh, that guy said it. It sounded crazy, but it was true. That would validate the person was really a prophet. Then the longer term, the messianic prophecies that might not come true for another thousand years or 2,000 years or whatever, you could take those to the bank because you knew this person was a real prophet. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the Old Testament prophecy. The New Testament prophet that would be equivalent would be an apostle. Now, the apostles, mm. in my view, were only, uh, capital A, let's say, only in the New Testament. Like, we know who the apostles were, and they acted just like Old Testament prophets. They heard from God, they wrote it down, we have the scripture, and all of church history has, has validated, yeah, that is real, true scripture from God. Now, there is a New Testament minor, lowercase p, prophet. This would be somebody in Acts like Agabus. Now, Agabus mm. is described as a prophet. And when we first meet Agabus early in Acts, he's describing that a famine is coming. Nobody's expecting a famine, but sure enough, it comes. This validates that he is a real prophet. Later, he prophesies again. We see him talk to the apostle Paul in the context of a number of other believers around him. And Agabus prophesies something that is not right. It's not accurate. Okay, this is important. Agabus tells Paul that when you don't go to Jerusalem, he he doesn't say don't go to Jerusalem. He he says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be captured by the Jews, tied up. He literally takes Paul's belt and he acts out what it's going to look like when the Jews arrest and tie up Paul and then do horrible things to him. Now, that's his prophecy. Now, everybody around him, including Luke and other members of Paul's own team, interpret that as don't go to Jerusalem. It's a bad idea. Paul says, no, the Holy Spirit is telling me to go to Jerusalem. He's telling me bad things are going to happen, but basically don't break my heart. I have to go. God is telling me to go. Just because there's danger and risk doesn't mean you're not supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, where Agabus gets it wrong is when you actually read it, it's not the Jews that arrest him. The Jews want to, but they don't. It's the Romans that arrest him. Now, where, why is that important? Because it takes us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says, we know in part, and therefore we prophesy in part. Mm. This is very interesting because for cessationists, there is no way that God ever gives any advanced intelligence on what's going to happen in a person's life or a church's life or whatever. But according to Paul, God does speak this way, but we individually only know part of the story. Sure. So we have to be very careful not to extrapolate and think that we know more than we do or and we have to tell people not thus saith the lord like isaiah right he could say it because it was true but we have to say listen i sense that the holy spirit is telling me this but i'm not sure if that's true but i think i should tell you this and then you test that so in agabus's case he was mostly right paul did get arrested it did go badly agabus wasn't the one that said don't go that was an interpretation from a flawed prophecy by the rest of the team, and they were wrong, and they're proven wrong, but they're not false prophets. Yeah. There's a difference. They're, they're not intentionally misleading. Yeah. They're misunderstanding a- bits and pieces of the data. Yeah, go ahead. 
No, that's a really good point. And I wanted to bring that out too, that, you know, it wasn't so much that Agabus or even the followers and listeners got it wrong per se, but they jumped to some conclusions like Agabus, for example, you know, would have naturally assumed that it would be the Jews that would arrest him. Right. But he got it wrong because he jumped to that conclusion. And then the listeners also heard that, you know, this means you shouldn't go because of course, you should try to preserve your freedom and your ability to minister. Uh, but that isn't always God's way either. So again, uh, that's a really good point to bring out. And, 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 and you just touched on the exact nuance. And that is in the New Testament era, yes, God can speak to us. He does. He wants to at times, not all the time. But we have to be very humble and very careful because even as we're sensing what the Spirit is telling us, he's not giving it to us like Scripture. It's not pouring out of us usually like, like you know, like it must have to Isaiah or Daniel or you know whatever. But you just talk about it. Like clearly Agabus was getting a sense from the Holy Spirit that Paul was going to be arrested and it was going to go badly. He was right about those two core points. But he, as you said, the implication seems to be that he extrapolated who must be doing it because clearly God didn't tell him that. The truth yeah. was that the Jews wanted to do it but didn't. The Romans did do it and didn't want to. So that's just <laughs> interesting. And then, of course, the interpretation of a slightly flawed prophecy. Everybody got it wrong, including Luke, who wrote more of the New Testament than Paul. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at Luke and Acts, that's more verses than Paul ever wrote. So Luke wasn't some chump. You know, he wasn't a <laughs> lightweight spiritually, but he got it completely wrong. That's not yeah. the same as false prophecy. And Jesus warns of false prophets in Matthew 24. Paul warns about false prophets in 1 Timothy 6, among other places. Paul warned about the ultimate false prophet in 2 Thessalonians uh, in terms of the Antichrist coming. The Apostle John warns about false prophets in most of his epistles. And, of course, ultimately, the whole book of Revelation. And that is a consistent message of warning. There are going to be people who say they're talking for God. They're not. They're not mistaken and they're not crazy. They are purposely trying to deceive you and destroy you. Watch out. Well, hold on to that for just a second. We're going to take a quick break here, Joel, but that's fascinating. We're going to talk about how do we recognize or identify false prophets after this. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in the clothing of sheep, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And our prayer requests today are that, number one, pray that the gospel will be clearly heard in the epicenter and that people will be not led astray. 
And second, pray that American believers will pray for Israel and the Arab neighbors in the coming days. Well, we're back, Joel, and uh, this is so fascinating to me because of, uh, well, just the whole complexity of issues surrounding prophecy and the way uh, history and various other things are leading in that direction. Uh, and you made a great point in the last segment about how someone can be a prophet but not be a false prophet, even if they may get some details incorrect if they jump to some of those conclusions. So let's talk a little bit about false prophecy, about the intentional reality. The Bible warns us about false prophets. So how can we identify a false prophet? So that's a good question. And uh, let me start with a word picture that I and that my wife and I learned when we met each other in a student ministry at Syracuse University when we were uh, undergraduates. The ministry was Campus Crusade for Christ. And we were, you know, fairly young in our faith in terms of, uh, we were young anyway, <laughs> right? 18, 19, 20 years old. And we were, we we're still just really growing in our understanding of God's plan. And I remember one of the staff people, uh, we met on Thursday nights, and one of the staff members really made a very strong point. You have to know your Bible. Because when you know your Bible, then you'll know when somebody's coming along and telling you something and you're like, mm, that's not biblical. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not be able to place exactly where the verse is that says something different, from, but you'll know, uh, I don't think that's right. And then you can go look it up, right? And the staff person used an analogy, which I years later became a friend with a Secret Service agent, multiple ones, but one in particular. It's a very dear friend. And um, I asked him, listen, we learned this in Campus Crusade 35 years ago, but can I just ask you – like we were told that when the Secret Service trains bank tellers how to identify counterfeit money, they don't teach the bank tellers the thousand whatever ways there are to counterfeit money. There's too many new ways. There's too many new techniques. There's there's no point, you know, the Campus Crusade staffer said, in teaching people all the ways of what a counterfeit looks like. What Secret Service teaches people is what does real money feel like, look like, touch? What, how does it, you know, what does it smell like? It, when you know real money, you'll be okay. So they he said, well, I, we said, you know, back in Campus Crusade in college, we were like, well, what does that mean? Like when, you, when you're going and you're doing $20 bills, if you really know real money, you really have studied it and it, it, it just part – the moment you start going past a $20 bill that you're like, that's weird. That doesn't – it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. It, it might actually be like, that's pretty close, I, I, but it just doesn't seem right. You're just, your instinct tells you, I think something's off. So what do you do? You go check it with an expert. Okay. And, 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 and my friend uh, was in the Secret Service said, yeah, that's exactly right. So the, the point is, the whole point of a false prophet is to deceive you, which means mm-hmm. they're tricking you. If they could just tell it to you and you didn't know any different then why they don't need to trick you. They'll just teach you something bad. You follow them and you walk right off a cliff or blow yourself up spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever, because, you know, this is bad. But when you're trying to deceive a Christian, a believer, you have to be much more crafty because you're assuming that they have some knowledge. The problem is many Christians have not really immersed themselves in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They know a little bit here and there, but they basically trust anybody who talks to them. This is a problem because it's hard to identify fake money if it looks and smells real because you don't know the difference. 
That's yep. one thing. The second thing is we have to be very much on guard aside from studying the scriptures and really getting to be a, what, what, what Paul tells Timothy, become a workman, unashamed, approved. Yeah. Like you have to really know the word of God. I think most Christians, they sort of know the word of God. They, they read, maybe they read five minutes in the morning, you know, okay, that's not really enough. Not in a world where we're heading towards more deception, more false prophecy, more false messiahs, more mm-hmm. deception. You, you have to be more prepared. Now, the, but the second thing is you have to also be aware that false prophets are able to do, at times, miracles. Mm-hmm. They're able to tell you the future. And one of the problems is, well, this person told me the future, so they must be legit. No, no. So let's take an example from Deuteronomy chapter 13. Very famous passage. I think we've mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention it again. Deuteronomy 13, starting in verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you saying let's go after other gods whom you've not known and let us serve them mm-hmm. you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that mm-hmm. dreamer of dreams why for the lord your god is testing you to find out if you love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul And then it says, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice and serve him and cling to him. It doesn't even use the the, the New Testament uh, analogy of abiding in him, which is, of course, Jesus said that in John 15, we need to abide in him. But this is saying, yeah, you you can live with God, but you should also cling, like, because we're heading into an age of deception. Now, this is telling us something important. It's telling us that God allows false, wicked, deceiving people, wolves, as Jesus described them. He allows them sometimes to be able to tell the future. Why? To deceive us, to test mm-hmm. us in this case, to test us, to see if somebody tells you something and it comes to pass, is that all you need? Because if that's the case, the Bible says there's going to be more false prophets and false teachers and then ultimately an antichrist. And you're just going to go walking right off the cliff or running with that person. That's a problem. And the Apostle Paul, one other, uh, Galatians chapter one is a really important passage in this. So we talk about false prophecies, meaning the prophecy wasn't false, meaning it did come true in your life, but the point was to get you to follow a different God, different Mm. from Jesus, different from the Bible. So Mm. if you say, well, the prophecy was right, you're making a conclusion and therefore the theology is right. No, no, that is not the same thing. Right. And since most of us don't have experience with being prophesied to and it coming true, we might be tempted by that. So that's that's the thing. But the other thing is miracles or signs and wonders. So in Galatians chapter one, Paul writes this very, very interesting, right? Paul, Apostle Paul, who himself saw a vision of Jesus, and that's a big part of how he came to faith, right? He saw this miraculous moment, right? But Paul says this, Galatians chapter one, starting in verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Wow. Now, let me give you just one quick example. We've used it in a different context on a different show, but this is important. So people ask me, do you believe that Muhammad? living in Arabia, in Mecca back in the day, 
do you believe that he really saw an angel who appeared to him in a cave and laid out all these verses that became the Quran? Do you believe that? I said, I absolutely believe that. They're like, mm-hmm. you believe in Islam? No. I, you asked me if I believe that that happened, that an angel appeared to Muhammad and gave him what we know is today as the Quran. And they're like, you believe that really happened? I said, yes, I do. And this is the verse. This is the passage why I believe it. I believe that an angel, in this case a demon, or a fallen angel, appeared to Muhammad and gave him a false doctrine, a false teaching. And then he went off and sold it to the rest of the world, and that became Islam. Now, what's interesting about that, one more point, because uh, this is this could be a multiple series. Uh, this is such an interesting topic to me. What's interesting is that there are actual writings, um, uh, not in the Quran, but in the extra writings. Um, we'll not get into all the details of there are there are writings that of sayings that were said by uh, Muhammad and stories about him that were written by his disciples, written down and are believed to be part of the overall canon of Islamic theology, but they're not actually in the Quran, right? Mm-hmm. In the now we as evangelicals say if it's in the Bible, it's true. There are other things that might be interesting. But they're not binding, or they're not—they're not the mm-hmm. canon of the scripture. But the Muslims say, no, no, no. There's all these other teachings and sayings and stories about Muhammad. But one of them is this, and this is in the the Muslim teachings that Muhammad went to his wife and said, "I think that I'm being spoken to by a demon. I don't. I'm not convinced this is an angel. I think this is Satan speaking to me." And she rebuked him. He said, "I think these are satanic verses." He was mm-hmm. confused. It didn't match anything that he knew. And she said, no. And she rebuked him and she said, no, God is revealing a new religion to you. You need to embrace it and you need to go teach it. And so he yeah. did. So it's e- interesting that even within Islam, the teachings of Islam, yeah. we see that moment where Muhammad struggled. Did I get a vision from the actual one true God or is this are these satanic verses? Yeah. And that is, I think, maybe the clearest, at least the simplest way to explain, yes, we can have visions. I, the same thing happened uh, uh, to the beginning of uh, the Mormons, uh, Joseph Smith in Palmyra, exactly. New York. Now, I grew up right next to Palmyra. Some of my dearest friends were in Palmyra and Macedon, in New York. I can yeah. tell you none of them were the Messiah. But <laughs> Joseph Smith saw this vision and he believed he was getting a new religion. And lo and behold, a whole new sure. religion, even though it's completely contradictory to the Old and New Testament. So this is real. And these things will accelerate. They'll get worse, not better, as we get closer to the return of Christ. Well, I think you hit on uh, what's so important for us to understand about this. So it's very exciting to look at Scripture. uh, And like you said, you know, to be able to look deeply into Scripture so we can get the feel of authenticity of what real prophecy is, and then to encounter some of these false prophecies and some of these false prophets. Uh, it's funny, you, you mentioned uh, the LDS faith. You know, I was uh, a pastor for a number of years in Salt Lake City, and it's quite fascinating to read that passage in Galatians to realize that, I mean, Paul himself was maybe being a bit prophetic to say, if you know, even if an angel speaks to you this way, And of course, we know that's part of the story of the formation of the Mormon church. But Joel, if we're sitting down and we're saying, okay, look at scripture, and this is what an authentic $20 bill feels like, (laughs) what does it feel like when we encounter a false prophecy? What are some of the things that we should be looking for in light of that sort of situation? Yeah, well, we we could wish that it'll be 
immediately obvious. You'll be like, what that person just said directly contradicts, and you'll be like, all right, I gotta find this, or you'll Google it, and you're like, all right, I know there's a verse, or maybe you'll have memorized it, that would be best, but you look it up and you're like, no, that verse is directly opposite of what that guy just said. That's the best case scenario because you can go, no. Now, the sad thing is I guarantee, I've seen it happen. My 55 years, I've seen people like, no, I'm like, no, th- that's wrong. This is the scripture. Like, and people like, they don't, they don't care. They get yep. drawn off maybe for a season, may, but maybe forever. We had a, a terrible situation um, of a messianic leader, a, a Jewish believer here in the land very respected. Uh, actually, he's not Jewish, but he lived here and he worked here and he, and he was a Bible teacher, very respected. And he blew up and he started teaching that Jesus is not really God. Maybe he's the Messiah, but he's not really God. And and, and it was like, what are you talking? This guy was the head of a Bible institute and it took some, you know, and you're like, wait, no, what are you, what are you talking about? And, but, but people were deceived and we've seen, you know, multiple other cases of that. So that's the best case scenario when you can take the words directly and go, no, no, that's not true. More difficult is when your when your spirit, when your instinct is like, that's I don't that doesn't seem right, and that's where um, a spiritual gift known as discernment comes in. We use the term in English discernment, but if you looked really at the Greek, it would be more like distinguishing of spirits, like. There's a spirit of darkness and of you know of the devil and of you know lots of lots of evil and wicked and unclean spirits, as opposed to the Holy Spirit. Right when we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that is our detector. The Holy Spirit is the detector of truth because Jesus said, "I am the truth," and Jesus said, "I'm the Word," and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Right, all these things point to each other, saying. God is truth. Jesus is truth. The spirit is truth. So if you're walking in the truth of the scripture, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you may not know the verse and you may not even know what's wrong with that person, but your instinct tells you, I'm not sure if that's right. Now, the problem with that is you could be wrong. You could have heartburn or you could have some other reaction to that person. But there are people that have the gift of discernment. Now, my wife has it and many of the people on the Joshua Fund staff have it. And it's not that we actively look for people with it, but we really appreciate when God brings it to us because to, to me, the best way to describe discernment, because it's difficult to describe is if you've seen the hunt for red October or any submarine movie, you've got a sonar operator and he's like, he's, and he's like, captain, I think there's a super secret Soviet sub out there. And they're like, what? And I remember in the movie, it's literally like the captain's like, so a billion dollar computer tells you that you're listening to a whale way off. And you're telling me, no, no, it's a super secret uh, submarine that no one's ever heard of and we don't have in our computers. And the guy's like, yes, I am trained to know the difference. And my instinct tells me there's something out there that we've never experienced before. Now, the right way is to listen to the person that has that. My wife has that. I don't have the spiritual gift of discernment. I have the gift of obliviousness. Now, I'm not the only man that has it. And if you're a man listening and you're like, what is he talking about? Exactly. But the point is, one of my gifts is exhortation. It can be encouragement or it also also can be challenging someone who's wrong. Hey, you need to turn around, right? You need to repent. This is not right. Now, it's really great that the Lord uh, matched us up together for lots of reasons. But her ability to discern, hey, that's weird. Something's wrong there. And me go, what? talking about but i've learned over 32 years of marriage and the couple of years before that 
listen to my wife. Now, it's not that she's 100% right all the time. We know in part, but when her meter, when her instincts, when her sonar goes, something's wrong there in that person, in that church, in that ministry, in that whatever, in that book, I have learned to go, okay, I need to investigate, right? And that's like bringing in the captain. That's like bringing in the other members of the team and and going, well, what are you hearing? Is there, are you able to figure out what's wrong? Now, sometimes it takes time, but that instinct in a spirit-filled believer tends to be right. Now, I don't want to make a blatant statement, but don't ignore that instinct that something here is wrong. It doesn't mean you jump up and down and start flailing your arms and going, stop, stop. I mean, if you had to, you would do it, but I'm just saying, but you have to start going, I think this $20 bill is not right, but it could be the most new sophisticated version of a counterfeit that it's really hard to determine at first. And so you might need to bring other people in to go, do you see what I'm seeing? Or am I just sort of crazy? And this is very, very important. And I, I've seen so many crises in ministries averted or dealt with in a relatively healthy manner because people were discerning. They were doing long range sonar or radar. They're picking up a problem before it arrives. And now they're beginning to try to understand it and figure out how to handle it. That's important in hiring. It's certainly important in if you had to fire somebody trying to understand what is really going on here so that we're not just flippant with our decisions and just going by the seat of our pants, but that we're not ignoring the spiritual gifting that's designed to protect the church. And then when the body works together, it's the healthiest. It doesn't mean there's not going to be problems. And by definition, when Jesus says there's going to be wolves, but they're dressed up as sheep, why do they dress up as sheep? So you don't notice them. And he says it's going to get worse. So we have to accept that there are more wolves amongst us than we realize. Don't get conspiratorial, but definitely make sure that you have your radar up, your sonar on. Well, I want to address that because I think it's really important. A few weeks ago, you know, I had a reason to deposit several, uh, like a stack of uh, a short stack of hundred dollar bills uh, at, at the ATM machine, and you know, and I went up to the ATM and I put it in there, and uh, about ten of these bills went in just fine, and the eleventh didn't go in. And I thought, okay, well, maybe there's a limit. I tried it again. I tried to put it in one time, and I went inside and I said, so how come this bill? wouldn't go through. And they looked at it and everything. And while they finally did uh, deposit it, uh, because it wasn't something I was doing in, you know, on my own, but I had received this bill from right. someone else, I realized that's exactly what happens. You have these scanners that kind of flag this one thing among all these other things that, that should definitely be reconsidered and uh, really looked at a little bit deeper. Right. And the scanning can be wrong. It can be like, I think that's wrong, but like, okay, you see this all the time when you go through the TSA system at the airport and someone goes beep, 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 and then they wand you and they check you and like, okay, it's, it's really nothing. But they're being extra, extra careful. The, the dials are tuned up high to if there's anything that even a little bit of skew, let's check it. That is yeah. a great principle for making sure you don't get or your family or your congregation turned aside by false teachers and false prophets. Yeah. And I think it's the word of God that is the the final scanner, right? And getting familiar with that. Talk to us a little bit, because this is really where your expertise comes in, in terms of taking biblical history and taking current events and, and putting those things together. You're, you, you would say you're not a prophet, but you know that connection between those things really comes from knowing the word of God. How does knowledge of the word of God help us avoid and deal with some of these problems with false prophecies? Well, first, by being aware that 
not everybody who's teaching something and looks like they are in a pulpit or they look like they look they seem like a pastor, they seem like a man of God, they have all the, the documentation of their theological degrees or whatever, doesn't mean that they're right. And so it, without being cons- conspiratorial or constantly cynical and worried, but being aware that that's a thing and it's even more of a thing today than it was in the past because we're getting closer to the return of Christ. Yeah, so we need to know the, the scriptures and then we have to actually believe the scriptures. It's one thing to know it, and then it's to stand on it, to rest in it. To Remember, we talked in the, in the first podcast that in evangelical, the first thing is that the, that the word of God is the highest authority for us. So here's an example. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that no one knows the day or hour that the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to return for the rapture, right? I mean, it's true also of the second coming, but... Maybe we don't know exactly when, but but he says, I'm going to give you a sense of what to look for that puts you in the season. Okay, fair enough. But I have a box of books. I, I, have I told the story already with you? I can't remember. I have a box of books back in Virginia. It's in storage. And yes. I have it marked as heresy, right? And, yes. and there's one book that is, you know, the 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming in 1988, which is, you know, sold millions and millions of copies. Completely ridiculous, and then the guy was like, oh, I, I got it all wrong. I, I miscalculated. Here's the 89 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 1989. Well, that was ridiculous too. And, and years later, he published a book, 1995, and he, I think it was 95, anyway, October 26th or whatever it was. It was a 500-page book with all his calculations. It was complete bogus. But did it deceive people? Yes. Those are actually easy they ought to be easy to say, no, you don't know this. If Jesus said he didn't know, how come this guy knows? He doesn't. But that means you have to know that Jesus said that nobody knows the day or hour. And then you have to believe that Jesus said, said it and meant it. And then you have to live that way. But it was amazing. This guy put up billboards all over the world. He took out radio ads sure. all over the world. There were billboards in Israel. Um, and we happened to be here. I, with a with a Joshua Fund tour on May whatever it was tenth nineteen you know two thousand whatever in one of his crazy you know predictions but this had the whole world the New York Times was writing about it the Associated Press the LA Times everybody was like it's a big story yeah it's just bogus yeah but people shouldn't have even considered it for an instant if they knew the Word of God and believed it and lived by it but that that's the problem and here's another example of how deceptive this is so. I don't want to make light of this, and I hope that I don't think I am, right. nor are you. But I think some people are like, oh, okay, well, if somebody says that, okay, obviously I'm going to know that that's ridiculous. Okay, well, what about this? Here's an example from Matthew chapter 24. Okay, Matthew 24, beginning in verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe him. Mm-hmm. For false messiahs, false Christs, and false prophets will arise. He's not saying they might. No, he's saying they will arise. And they will, not might, but they will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance, Jesus said. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out there. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them, Jesus said. For just as the lightning comes, from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Yeah. When I think of that, it, it makes me think of several things. First, there will be false messiahs and false prophets. It, this is you just take this to the bank; it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it says there's going to be many of them. Mm-hmm. Not, this is not a small problem. This is a huge problem. Three, they're going to be trying to deceive the elect, meaning people who are actually born again. They're in the kingdom of God, but these people are going to go not just go after unbelievers. They're going to be going to try to deceive believers and. If that's not all, they're going to be able to do great signs and wonders. Now, what does that mean? Not only is there like fortune telling, you know, or false prophecy in terms of telling people their future, they're going to be able to do miracles. Now, if you see someone healed or, you know, their eyes are open from the blindness or, and you'd be like, no, okay, no, only Jesus can do that. So, wow, that guy must really be the Messiah or at least uh, a servant of the Messiah. But the Bible is saying they will even be able to do great signs and wonders. And the Antichrist himself will be able to do unbelievable miracles. And this will deceive people. And so I I say to people, look, we, you know, if you take Islam and you think there are 1.8 billion people in the world who are following a false prophet. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we don't love the people because they are like Paul when he didn't understand who Christ was really. He was trapped. He was lost. He was deceived. God opened his eyes. Amen. And many Muslims are coming to faith. But so we're not talking about being Islamophobic. We're not talking about anti-Muslim people. But we're saying they're trapped in a system that they're following a false prophet. And that's not a small problem. That's 1.8 billion people. I don't know how many uh, people there are in the uh, uh, the Mormon um, Latter-day Saints uh, uh, congregation, you know, movement. But it's a lot. Uh, you know, a United States senator, a, a, a presidential candidate. Mitt Romney. So the point is, this is not a small thing, and it's real in our lifetime. And those are just a couple of examples, but there are countless others. And I think I would argue that a follower of Jesus Christ who doesn't really stay in the Word of God and want to understand it thoroughly and walk in the power spirit and in fellowship with believers and have older, wiser believers in their lives teaching them, correcting when they're mistaken, speaking into their lives— it's like living in the green zone in Baghdad at the height of the war and deciding, you know what? I, I'm so sick and tired of this war. I I grew up in the green zone. I have a helmet. I have a flak jacket. But I'm just exhausted by this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm not part of the American military team anymore. I'm just, I'm just going to go out and do my own thing. And you take off all your gear and you head out into Baghdad. You might make it a few blocks. You might make it a mile. How long until you get captured yeah. by the enemy? And I think I see it so many – and I'm not talking about friends. I'm not talking about like statistics. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about dear friends who mm. I thought really knew Jesus. Mm. And they have blown up their marriages. They have blown up their ministries. They have gotten trapped and deceived in, in false teaching. I'm not going to get into every story, but I'm not saying these particular ones that I'm referring to were themselves wolves. Although I think I know some wolves and it's very sobering. But but even people who I thought they're not – these are not chumps. They're not elementary school like first grader believers. These are people – they're pastors. These are missionaries. These are mission leaders. Yeah. And they have gone like – and I'm like, what is happening to you? What, yeah. You're blowing up your marriage and you now think that adultery isn't a sin? Who's teaching you this? You know, And that's just it's one of – I just see it over and over and I think – Wow, Lord, I know you say it's going to happen, but it's making me sick to my stomach. And I, 
And I'm worried. I think people are just taking off their armor and they're just walking through Baghdad. And I think it's so foolish, but oh. it's happening in epidemic proportions. Yeah. Well, Joel, you have you've certainly reminded us how important this subject is. And uh, and it uh, like many other issues regarding prophecy and these issues of truth and God's word, there's not enough talked about. Uh, and uh, I'm so grateful that you have taken on the subject today and and really identified some of those personal elements of why this is so important. This isn't a theoretical question. This is a real and practical and life issue question. So thanks, Joel, for your time. And thanks for this time on the podcast. I appreciate it. My honor. Thanks for thinking of this as a topic. I think, uh, you know, may your tribe increase. <laughs> it's an important topic. <laughs> Amen. Well, if you found this podcast to be valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. What do you want us to talk about on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer or address? Go to joshuafund.com and click on contact us. Feedback from you is incredibly valuable as we continue to develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.